Hosting for this podcast is made possible through mtgcast.com, which is supported by a generous contribution from quietspeculation.com, Magic's premier trading and financial news site. So we're planning to meet on Gay Street. Yeah. <laughs> Literal Gay Street. Um, but it was blocked off. Why was it blocked off? Uh, first of all, it's Brian David Marshall, Michael J. Flores, Copy Magic. People know that. I know they know that, but it's I feel all uncomfortable over the, whatever if we don't start. On. I feel uncomfortable if we don't okay, start that yeah. So it's kind of like a weird day in New York, right? On one hand, it is kind of like the worst of New York. It is hot. People with giant testicles are wandering by. I mean, those were some huge testicles. <laughs> And it is humid, and it smells a little bad, and it's really, it is really not New York. It's like the nadir of the New York kind of season. But back to Gay Street. But at the same time, it's a pretty exciting day in New York. Uh, there was just a huge rally about 30 feet from our normal podcasting spot to celebrate the uh, fact that uh, Doma was uh, shut down by the Supreme Court so today. The Supreme Court... Um, I guess in stark reversal to yesterday's 5-4 decisions, <laughs> had, had different 5-4 decisions today, striking down the Defense of Marriage Act. We're wearing our 21st century hats today. Um, We're wearing our three-pointed three colonial hats yesterday. You know, it's, it's always, it's, I think one thing that's always, always really bothered me is uh, my favorite Supreme Court justice, slash I think the smartest Supreme Court justice, uh, votes exactly the same as like the dumbest Supreme Court justice. Like, that's really always bothered me. I'm like, they vote exactly the same. <laughs> there might be a flaw in, 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 in some part of this. Uh, well, anyway, so that's why we're not there. Uh, so instead, we're walking towards John Finkel's house. Right. So uh, instead of hearing the, you know, just every 30 second, like, warrior's level screaming, uh, from the rally that's going on over there, you get to hear the random jackhammers, hobos, and those uh, fire testicles trucks. were enormous. Yeah, they were, they were, I mean, like they were they freaking big as giant. Head. Yeah, and like there's like a helicopter. And it's like a hot day to be walking around with a giant testicle. I mean, it's the helicopters are following us around. I don't know if you know if you can hear that. Clearly, the NSA is like, oh, podcasting. Perhaps we should follow this. Um, so, all right. Magic the Gathering, lots of stuff happened. You were in Vegas last week or I no? Was, I was in Vegas. So one of the reasons why um, we haven't podcasted in blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you were in Vegas last weekend. Yes, I was in, I was in California the whole week before uh, at the Fair Games offices. And then, uh, I don't know, I was coming home Friday and my wife was like, oh, you know, I think I might go see my family this weekend she's like you can come or you can go play magic and I'm like alright see you in Vegas did Bye. she know that the tournament was in Vegas or she just like you can play magic but you can just play at your friend's house I mean like, can was, I go to my friend's I house I think I was getting permission to go play at my friend's house <laughs> yeah. your friend's house is like the Aria <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, yeah I did a last minute uh, audible to Vegas but you got in yeah well I mean it wasn't that last minute it was like it was during the week I pre-registered oh, okay yeah. so how did you did I went four and three with no buys. My deck was unspectacular, but I think I had a shot at day two if I probably played, ironically, an extra land. I 
I was so jelly, like, looking at people who had, like, undefeated decklists or whatever. I'm like, I have never played with Maloku the Clouded Mirror in a limited game. Oh, yeah. But I can imagine. Like, I remember how good I was at Maloku and Constructed. Like, if you gave me a Maloku, it didn't matter who was sitting across the table. I would just figure out a way to destroy them with it. And then... In limited, when you really can't even destroy the Maloku, <laughs> and there's 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 a uh, there's an array of Malokus to play with. One of the games people were playing was rank the Malokus. Rank the Malokus. Rank the Malokus because there's like a bunch of Malokus you can get in this limited format. You could get Una, Queen of the Malokus. You could get the original Maloku. Clouded Mirror Victory. You, yeah, you could get uh, Cloud Goat Maloku. Cloud Goat. Come on. What? He's no Maloku. I mean, Cloud Goat Maloku's pretty good. He's fine when you have two, like and some people get, had. And then, you, and then you could get Skeletal Maloku. Oh, Skeletal. Oh, my. You can get him? Yeah. Oh, my God. I don't think I could even dream of losing a game that I've cast him. I, I was I was very good with these sorts of creatures. Can we play them in standard again instead of whatever we have now? <laughs> like, I just remember, like, playtesting against rabbits, and I would, like, summon a Maloku, and you would have, like, some sick board position, and I would just pick up all of my lands and just kill them oh in two attacks. I watched, like, I watched Josh Rabbits play a game of Modern Masters, and he had Atacar Valkyrie, friend of the Malokus, but no Maloku. I mean, this play. is... This is a, one against many fights, sounds he, like. Yeah, he had Adekar Valkyrie out, and then he evoked a Mall Drifter. Nice! And then he had a Mall Drifter and four more cards. And then the Moloch would kill them? <laughs> no, no, no. He, I don't even remember how that... Oh, he might have gotten... Oh, he might have gotten uh, and Shackled that game. Oh, no. No longer a friend of the Moloch. Yeah, yeah. Friend of the opponent now. So, so. But it, was, it was fun. I, uh, you know, I, I, I played. Uh, I had a feature match against Andrew Cuneo, in which I mulliganed to four in game one. Beat him? No. 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 And then, uh, you know, had a uneventful game two, but uh, he, he got me. He's a good Magic the Gathering player. I don't think I've ever defeated him. And I, I first played him in, I think, 1996 or something. Did, Beat- you, did you play them, him at all in the uh, Pro Tour that yeah, they the made the finals of? Uh, for fun, I've played him a lot. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, that one, I think, but I finished 17th in that one. I don't think we ever played in the Pro Tour. I pl- we played them that Pro Tour. I beat uh, Aaron Forsyth, but uh, our, my teammates lost to Cuneo and... Uh, oh, you had a teammate that lost to Andy J? Yeah. Nice. That's I mean, like... That's like... Uh, it's like... Triple P's team just won, won the Grand Prix. Longo didn't win a match on day one. <laughs> he just didn't win a match. <laughs> no problem. Is it true or false? Longo didn't win a match on day it's, one. I'm told that this is true. I believe that. <laughs> they just, like, daggered the entire Grand Prix anyway. Um, anywho. Yeah, so that's good news. So 50% of the team Grand Prix out in uh, Providence was Finkel Drafters. Yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, you had Zvi and Sam Black and Go kind of just in the top eight. Matt Ferrando's team uh, scooped to Zvi's team in the last round. To try to, try to... Yeah, I mean, just so they couldn't do it, and maybe yeah. those guys had better breakers. I, you know, but it was just kind of like, you know, it was a nice finish all around for, you know... For local heroes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was that was the real dagger. That's the one where my wife daggered me. I really wanted to go to that one. Who are you going to play with? I, well, you and Saden at one point. I, I was not going to. I was never going to play in that one. I, I 
Actually, you, I didn't you were, even. You I, actually were at one point. I wasn't point. even. Gonna, I didn't even get to play in Philly last week. You I was going to play, but then you were agreed to play in that one. Right. Me and Satan at one point, but it didn't work out. So, but I don't know. I was going to figure out a team. But then it's, I, I, we would have been like some jackass team that like like uh, you know you you like the opponent would have drawn a day two but they see that they're paired against us like we're not drawing that's, then, happened, to, that's <laughs> happened to us before that we murdered the hell out of them <laughs> that's happened to us before take this Hall of Famers <laughs> and, and Ken Ho <laughs> take this Hall of Famers and Pro Tour champion Ken Ho. Uh, yeah, the, so my wife's like, you know, at some point on Saturday, my wife's like, hey, it says here on my calendar that you're in Providence this weekend. Yeah? I'm like, oh, yeah, I didn't go because I thought we had plans. Oh. <laughs> She's like, no, I mean, you know, it's good that you're home, but you could have gone. Yeah, I got So we're coming up to, like, uh, near John's house. So the Angelica Theater's coming up, right? And uh, I went to this uh, dinner party this week. Yeah. I, I don't even know if you can imagine this. This apartment I went to, the apartment was a city block long. Uh, like, you could see the Angelica from one window, and it just went to the whatever the opposite block was. I'd never made it that far through the apartment. Wow. Like, I, how much does that apartment cost? What, what does the person who owns this apartment do? Retired. Yeah. Used to be a Retired lawyer. what? Like, rum runner? Yeah, maybe. He had a, a vast wine collection. Um... But he, he had the same name as a famous Magic player. I'll tell you later. <laughs> but it's funny because my wife Googled him and she's like, this Magic player kept coming up. <laughs> so, anywho, uh, what other ma- Magic the Gathering? Uh, there's like some community controversies. You want to talk about those or no? I mean, I, I'm, I'm fine talking about them. Oh, wait, before we do that, let's say something nice instead. Okay. <laughs> which is rare. Um I, I want to say how ashamed I was earlier this week. You probably didn't read it, but on Legit MTG, Revised Angel wrote about how a podcast saved her life. Oh, I didn't, I didn't see this. So, um, she wrote about being in uh, a very unhappy marriage, and then, like, listening to Yo! MTG Taps, and her husband at the time was like, this is stupid, you're stupid, blah, blah, blah. And then she was like, listen to Yo! MTG Taps, and just enjoying listening to... Joey and Joe, and then she was just, you know what? F it. We're done. <laughs> like, over your MCG taps. And, uh, you know, improved her lot in life by murdering the bejesus out of her, her marriage, uh, which apparently she wasn't getting what she wanted out of. Not, not doing things that make you unhappy is so good. Yeah. Uh, and so at the end, she had like her list of her top 10 favorite podcasts. Which we didn't make, but she she did list top eight games in her also range. Like, well, if they updated more, they would have made my top ten. But I really think of it like we were the inspiration for Joey and Joe, so really we're the ones who saved her her, right, her unmarriage life. Take, take that, revised let's, let's angel. Let's this way and get off Houston Street, so it doesn't sound like we're walking down the middle of the FDR Drive to our listeners. Um, I I, mean, I, so well. I once had this podcast I did with Will Pop walking up and down Houston Street, <laughs> and then we didn't put it up because <laughs> he kept making inappropriate comments about certain of the beautiful women we passed, including Mrs. Bobby Flay. What's Stephanie her name? Marks. Yeah. Who, I mean, let's be honest, she really was not dressed appropriately. Yeah. <laughs> not for a district attorney? I mean... Not for someone who doesn't want to be accosted in the street. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
I, I'm all for treating other human beings with respect. But at some point, <laughs> if you're famous and beautiful and naked, <laughs> it's an interesting Venn diagram we've drawn. Very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, so, anywho. Oh, yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there. Oh, that's kind of cool, though. I, yep. I, I had not read that. I, I, read the, uh, I read a post she did a couple weeks ago about, you know, she's an EMT and uh, finding some young man who had died. Oh, yeah. And uh, was and realized at some point that he was a magic player because he had, like, magic packs on his desk. And it was just she, like, steal from his corpse? Yeah. Yes, nice. It was just, it was, just, it was you know, it was a very interesting uh, just portrait of, you know, her life and also just realizing, you know, at what a point of... Uh, I don't know, sometimes crisis people are in when they're playing magic or when they're at the age where they're discovering magic and, and sort of things of that level of fandom and excitement, you know? So you have me. I had not read that one. The, uh... How about the dress on that one? So it's pretty nice. So, anyway... Uh, oh, before we talk about community controversy, I put out yesterday that, uh... Cavs Dan should hire Basic Mountain to be the GM of the Cavs. So, Dan Gilbert, I know you're probably... This did, he, did he respond to your tweet? He did not. No. <laughs> Patrick Sullivan should be the GM of the Cavs. I co-sign it. What did, what did Patrick Sullivan propose? Did he Pat- propose trading the number one pick? No, no, Patrick Sullivan thinks that we can move either Dion Waiters or Tristan Thompson and a future pick, <laughs> some future first-round pick, for Kevin Love. And that we'll just sign uh, Igudala in free agency. <laughs> so the proposed—I just want to tell you—the proposed Patrick Sullivan is the GM of the Cavs team. This is our team. Kyrie Irving. Okay. This is our, this is our like Spurs five, right? Like they've got like they play three wings, a sure. center, and a sure. and a. I mean, I, I don't know. Tony Parker's basically where they just play four wings and and uh, the greatest power forward of all time, right? So. Yeah. I mean, I know he's listed as point guard. He's not very tall, but he doesn't really act like a point guard. So this would be the Cavs team uh, under general manager Patrick Sullivan. Kyrie Irving, Tristan Thompson, or maybe we would have to keep Dion. Like, let's just sit here. Um, But we would trade one of them. Kevin Love, Iguodala, Vera Jow. And then we get to keep the Cavs bench, which, by the way, is excellent. Iguodala is, like, one of the most reviled... Like, he's probably more reviled in Philadelphia than Andrew Bynum. Why? They, they just traded him. I know. They people, picked that. They always hated him. Why? It's too good? I Win too many too basketball good. games? Too much flavor. <laughs> wow. Played too good of defense? Yeah. Too efficient at scoring? Probably. Yeah. yeah I mean, you like that Cavs team? That's a pretty good team. Yeah, that, that, team's a cha- that team is just, like, easily a championship team, even against, a, you know, a 2014 uh, Heat team, I think, but... Apparently, the Cavs offered Waiters and uh, Thompson and the number one pick and were rebuffed for Kevin Love. So I think what's going to end up happening is around All-Star break time, uh, the Timberwolves are going to figure out that they're not going to keep Kevin Love <laughs> and that uh, they're going to get into a, this horrible Shaquille O'Neal situation. I don't know if you remember. The Cavs could have just traded Wally Zerbiak's expiring contract for either... Uh, Amari Stoudemire when he was still good, or Shaquille O'Neal, and they didn't because they're like so arrogant. They're like, "Oh, we're just the best team on the planet," which they were. Uh, we're just going to go win the title anyway, which they didn't. 
And so the next year they were like, I guess we'll take Shaquille O'Neal under way worse terms. <laughs> and he's not good this year and he was awesome last year. So, yeah, so we'll probably just, you know, general manager you, Patrick Sullivan. Them, what do you want them to do with the number one pick? Do you want them to uh, someone? Or I mean, I think if they're still, I would rather get rid of it because I think that who they would get like if they got rid of it's like the Bobcats or something. Right. I mean the Bobcats have a high enough pick, maybe it's not worth it. With the uh the, whoever else would just fumble the pick, right? Uh I, I I would prefer to uh draft Victor how do you say his last name? It's a difficult last name for me. Victor with an O. Um and then uh if not him, uh Nerland Snowell. But then like the the scuttlebutt around the internet is the Cavs are gonna take Alex Len, which is That's that's everything I've heard. So so Junus Ogowskis is like the assistant GM, and uh, and uh, Vitaly Potapenko was actually the first string uh, Cavs center when Zajunas Ogowskis was like came onto the team. So they're both of them are huge, big, white Eastern European centers who are slow and played for the Cavs, and they both want Alex Len. Big freaking <laughs> surprise! So I'm thinking, oh my god, <laughs> look, I, this is just. It's just a nightmare. Like, how did both of those guys get on management, number one? And they're like, oh, we take guy just like us. We slow, not good at basketball, seven foot tall. Jump shot. Like, I mean, what do you read about Alex Len? He's, he's the pedigree of an NBA scorer already. Yeah, he's two years older than everyone else. People are considering drafting. And scoring is the least valuable uh, least valuable function that someone can come into the NBA with. So, I mean, why don't you talk to me about, I don't know, offensive rebounding or something like that and produce an awesome player. Who's most exciting free agent to you this offseason? Most exciting free agent? I mean, uh, I, I don't know. We're not going to get Dwight Howard. We're not going to get Chris Paul. Like, I don't know. I think, like, none of them. If we get Iguodala, great. I'd actually rather... Uh, Gino Beely took uh, a massive pay cut that he effing, de- I almost swore just now, but he effing deserves, quite frankly, my favorite shooting guard of the last 10 years, uh, and so that the Spurs can take Iguodala and they can try to make another run. I mean, I was celebrating 30 seconds left in game six. I was literally celebrating and then all of that next. That was brutal. Did you happened. did you watch Game Six? And I watched go, all of it. No, but I'm saying, did you watch Game Six? And at the moment they took Tim Duncan out, go, why the hell are they taking Tim Duncan no, out? No, because you... they still needed to do. They needed to hit two three pointers and get two offensive rebounds in the last 28 seconds to win the game. And the Spurs needed to miss the foul but, shots. But, but they, the Spurs but, missed two foul shots. But if you're going to, if it involves. At some point, if the, the strategy for beating your team involves getting a rebound, wouldn't you rather leave Duncan in than take him out no, for no, some, I, I like, some, think, some like hypothetical small I, lineup? I, I honestly don't think it was wrong. Chris Bosh was not in at the time, so you're proposing that Duncan's going to guard one of like the speedier uh I'm, I'm proposing that Duncan's going to rebound. Like, that they're gonna, I'm proposing okay, that they're going to throw up a crazy three-point shot try to rebound it and throw up another crazy Len- three Leonard shot. had like 14 rebounds at the time. Leonard had the rebound necessary and freaking Diaw knocked it out of his hand, okay? Leonard is an animal. He's might be the best player in the league and he like was definitely the best player in the series. He just didn't happen to win. Right. So LeBron he happened to miss a free throw at the yeah. worst possible moment. So LeBron who played awful for the first 3 games of the series. But I mean, granted, game 7 was one of the best games he ever played. He played I mean, unbelievably bad in, like, 
game one and uh, game three was an embarrassment for a player of his skill. Like Leonard put up double doubles, including like ten, obviously by definition, ten plus rebounds a night every single game. Scored at his normally insane high rate. I mean, and can you imagine your job is like, hello, second year player. Your job is to contain LeBron James and Dwayne Wade. That's your job. And then Danny Green, you could do that too. Like, yeah. and then and you know what? They're like. No problems, Pop. <laughs> and they just did it. <laughs> like, your job is to contain LeBron James while also scoring double digits and rebounding double digits, which he did. He played an unbelievable series. Uh, I thought it was funny. Kevin Love was like, who gets the MVP? Parker or Duncan? Oops. Like, the next tweet was like, that was too quick. <laughs> I mean, obviously, like, first choice should have been Leonard, who played among the best final series of all time, and then, I mean, Danny Green was so unbelievable. Either one of them. Oh, Danny, Danny Green got shut down towards the end there, right? Like, no, I, I think that was Spolstra. Spolstra was, like, completely befuddled through the first five games, and um, they figured out what happened. Like, I, I don't know if you, you watch all the games. Uh, I watched most of them. So, game four, when the Spurs lost, uh, that game could have gone either way, I thought. I mean, that was really, like, refs made it tied at, at, at the half. Spurs probably should have been up by eight, but, you know, whatever. Call it whatever you want to call it. Uh, but they basically shut down the Spurs' like four-pass offense. So game five, when they were like, "Oh, he's so smart," he started Ginobili. All they did was play iso ball. Like Ginobili and uh, and Parker just played like Kobe slash Mellow ball the whole game, and they're actually really good at Kobe slash Mellow ball. And Spolstra did not figure it out for the first three quarters that they were just playing like like this is how yeah. Carmelo Anthony gets on Sports Center. This is what that's what they're. That's what they're playing against us. They're like, like, wait, guys, why don't we have 40 steals? To be fair, Melo's had a lot of success in his career against LeBron playing that way. Um, Melo's generally come out ahead on LeBron when the two have gone up against each other. Yeah, that is true. Uh, but the uh, but the thing is, like, the the first two wins were both predicated on getting a lot of steals on the, the Spurs, like, billion pass strategy. So they just didn't pass, which is kind of, like, insane, right? They're like, Gino Billy, do you have the ball drive? Get a sweet game five. Yeah, at some point should have just sat him down. I mean, I, I, I don't know what to say. Like, he like, had a, he, like, do you, do you, do you trust him at the end of game seven? Do you trust him? I mean, he's I mean, one of the best shooting guards to ever I play. I understand, but like, he was, I mean, he's obviously on just such a cooler. So who are you gonna play? I don't care. You you can't just say like I don't care. Like the team has a they're, they're, four and five. Like. Like the other team has LeBron James, can't you can't throw play the ball four and five. If you don't have it. Like, I mean, I don't know. You're gonna put Gary Neal in? Yes, like, yes, I am. Like Ginobili is unguardable in the key. He's still unguardable. I mean, he just, I'm, yeah, he was on a horrible cooler for six of the seven games. <laughs> what are you gonna say? It's the most dangerous scoring guard like in the last ten years, and Some, something was wrong. Even like, Battier was. At some point, Battier's always been like the guy's impossible to guard. Something was wrong. With him. How about he's thirty-seven years that may old? Maybe what's wrong with him? But yeah. like at some point, you just go. He's not up to this big game. He, he clearly wasn't. He didn't step up rise to the occasion. I think that you look at how like Timmy played. Timmy played Game Six like it was his last game. I I, I was fully prepared for Timmy to take take the MVP and retire on the spot. Yeah. Be like, give me the mic. I'm done. And I would have been like, you know what? It's great. And the, here's the other thing. I was not mad at all at the end of the series. I was furious after Game Six. Yeah. yeah. Like furious. And then I saw the smile that Greg Popovich had while he was hugging LeBron and, and Wade, and it was so genuine. It was so obviously not a fake smile. Like, he was really happy for these guys after a der- terrible, you know, level of competition. I was like, if Pop's not going to be mad, how can I be mad? Yeah. Parker was furious. 
make no mistake about that. Let's, let's talk about some magic, though. Magic, Talk, yeah, talk about sure. Garrick, Caller of Beasts. You seem to like this card? No, I don't like it. I didn't even realize. You can only put green creatures into play? First, okay, it costs six, right? Okay, I don't... I haven't even... I just saw that you, right. you posted something Yeah, so at first, I, I, I was, like, cool to optimistic, but now I'm, like, cool to... It's probably oh, okay. not going to be good. Okay. It's, like, GG4, six mana, for loyalty four. So it has pretty deep loyalty, but it yeah. costs six. It's plus one is reveal the top five cards of your library. Any one of those that are creatures put into your grip. It's a very powerful effect if you have a bunch of creatures in your deck. Sure. If you only have 20 I mean, creatures. Similar to the Domery Raid. If you only have 20 creatures in your deck, even, your your expected value is above one. Right, right. right. So, but that's not really a powerful ability on six, right? Sure. That's like, if, if Tidings said six mana, turn over the top five cards sure. of your deck... You might like, all right, maybe I would play this card, and it costs less than a six, right? So the second ability is really cool, though, or I thought initially. So it's minus three. So base loyalty four, minus three means that you're leaving a loyalty. It's not dead. You put a green creature from your grip to, to play. So originally, I was like, oh, a creature. I'm like, oh, just drop Emrakul, drop Grizzlebrand, right? Yeah. Like, oh, it's a green creature. Best you can do is drop Progenitus. What are you going to drop in standard? Free Acidic Slime? I don't know. It's not even worth the mana. Yeah. Just not exciting. Like, and then its ultimate is like negative seven. I think every time you play a creature, search the library and get a creature. I, I don't know. It's like some freaking seven. It doesn't sure, matter. Sure, sure, sure. I, I, I said in my blog, like, I've played a lot of Garrick Primal Hunter, like a lot, yeah, like yeah. a thousand games of Garrick Primal Hunter easily. Did they? Did they? And I've never of, once made worm tokens. Did they reveal any of the other planeswalkers? The other ones are all known planeswalkers. Oh, all known. Yeah. Okay. Or maybe Chandra is not. Yeah, it's Ch- Chandra Pyromancer. Or yeah, Chandra so maybe she's different. Pyromage, or I don't know. But um, but the, the alternate art on Garuk is cool. Have you seen it? It's, it's black. The black on black. Yeah. Isn't there a whole set of them black on black? I don't know. I've only seen. Yeah, Garuk. yeah, yeah. It's on MTV. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be in San Diego, so I'm hoping to get at least a set. <laughs> but speaking of go, going to Comic Con, is a uh, Fifth Planet got you like hooked up for Comic Cons? I'm going to Comic Con. Yeah. So I I just applied today for uh, a Comic Con press pass. Yeah. So, um, maybe they'll give me a free entrance. This nice. Week. How did you, where did you apply for that third? On the internet, you can just apply. Yeah, okay, nice. So, just for myself, though, I asked Trick if I could pretend that I was doing it for MCG.com, and he just ignored me. Thanks, Trick! Uh, so I just, like, I don't know, made up some stuff. Sure. Oh, top eight magic. Uh, whatever I'm doing. Um, so, uh, so Magic Gathering. Controversy in the community coverage is terrible. It's the worst. Here are all the things that I know how to change it. By the way, it hasn't changed since 1995. Yeah. I believe I used the term rife with nonsense uh, when describing his post. First of all, first of all, I thought some of his ideas were great. Like, number one in the world, Josh Utterlayton versus number six in the world, Stanislav Sivka. I like that a lot. Sure. I like that a lot. But I think that that's, like, a pretty cosmetic change. Yeah. That doesn't fundamentally change the coverage. Right. So my argument against it is that... Is that... I don't know what lens... All these folks out there are trying to apply to magic. But they're trying to apply all these things that aren't magic to magic. Correct. So, like... Just just so we're all clear, listeners at home... Let's say... For, some of this stuff is just my opinion, and Brian probably vastly disagree with me. But I have a re- relatively strong understanding of how both of the major streaming slash online coverage publications work, right? So, 
The first one to kind of really go big, you know, obviously based on Rashad's work to begin with, was SCG Live. And the well, GG's Live was the first yeah, one. Yeah, but SCG Live grew out of that because it, Rashad was doing the shows sure. with them originally. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so um, they basically proved that you could do 50 shows a year or whatever and, and, and do all this. And I don't think people really understand what makes this machine tick. Star City Games is a site that because of people like me and Brian Kibler, Patrick Chapin, etc., have lots of people come to the site. They like the content on the site. And because of that, that the love that, that the site is giving to, the, to these fans, those people are willing to pay a certain amount of money to buy magic cards from them. That is their fundamental... And, and also buy content. But more importantly, magic cards, sure. right? So the content is dwarfed by the amount of money that's made, made by the magic cards. Now, the problem that a site like Star City Games has is it's too popular. They don't actually have enough magic cards to fulfill all of the, the traffic that the content that people are willing to pay for is bringing in. So they had to figure out a novel way <laughs> to get more magic cards to sell. And they're like, hey, let's make a tournament series that everyone will love. The purpose of the tournament series is not to make a tournament series that everyone will love. It's to make this thing that they can buy cards for. Is this cynical? Eh. <laughs> it's important for them to buy and sell cards. Yeah. Okay? They sell cards on the site, but the amount of cards they sell on the site for people who are playing these tournaments is dwarfed by a massive order of magnitude by the cards they're selling online. It's people who are coming to their yeah. site regularly. Well, I mean, Star City was at Grand Prix Las Vegas. Yeah. And they're not there to sell cards. They're sure to buy they're, cards. They're to buy cards. They pay money. Yeah. A, you know, not insignificant amount of money for a table to buy cards. So... I mean, they sell stuff, but that's because I think they're legally obligated to. So, the, the thing is, this isn't a secret. Yeah. Star City Games is a retail store, okay? Yeah. It's not a secret, and but they incidentally made this thing that people love. That's what I like about it. Like It's like Transformers. I love Transformers, the TV show. Transformers, the movie, to this day, 20-plus years later, remains one of my favorite movies of all time. But the conflicts of Rodimus Prime and Optimus Prime, Megatron, Galvatron, you've got the touch, whatever, was designed to sell Japanese plastic to American kids, okay? The fact that there's content that I happened to like when I was 10 is incidental to all of this. So the, the notion of criticizing, like, oh, your concurrence or... Listen, concurrence are irrelevant. The monetization strategy has nothing to do with the concurrence on this platform. Now let's talk about Watsi, which is different. Okay? Right. Watsi, I, I, it's flabbergasting to me, the, the, the arguments that are made. Watsi used to do things like buy TV ads. I, I, used, I remember you used to tell guys that when I would go to a pro tour, working on the marketing team, like, you have to stop wasting your money buying these comic book ads. Your audience who's buying these comic book ads is my age. The JSS ad does not affect them. The average comic reader in the United States is 35 years old, okay? They don't play in the JSS. And they would buy these ads. They would try to buy branding. They bought TV ads for the love of God, okay? They got spots on MTV, on ESPN. That did not grow either the Pro Tour or the Magic Player base. Sure, although you could, argue, you could argue that the game is bigger now than it was. Absolutely. Then. And how did they grow it, Brian? Oh, they right. grew it by grassroots efforts, Empowering local game stores. They, they, right. They grew. They grew the game by making Duels of the Planeswalkers, Absolutely. which is a crucial. My daughter plays Duels of the Planeswalkers. Crucial linchpin to teaching people how to play the game. Being able to teach people how to play the game in a solitaire environment, without having to rely on someone either being condescending or dickish 
Well, I'll teach you how to play or dickish. Well, those are your options, right? The option is I teach you how to play magic and I let you win and I'm a condescending jerk. Yeah. Or I teach you how to play and I beat up on you and I'm a dick. Right? So. Like those are really just the two modes that people teach people how to play magic in. So, uh, so duels of the planeswalkers. Duels of the planeswalkers, but, but it gives you the opportunity to play. But solitaire. the social aspect of Magic and the empowerment of local then, tournaments, right. etc. The, the move all done at the, LGS the move level. to local game store PTQs and pre-releases is huge. It so, is tremendous. Possibly the most important thing that's happened through the explosion of Magic. None of these things has anything to do with the concurrent viewership of what's watched on what's watched on the on Twitch TV or the Pro Tour broadcast. You sure. decide whatever we're talking about it. There's a Venn diagram that's being drawn, and I, I, I'm a little bit cynical about the economics of these things. But the thing that I always point to is people say, well, it's not like law. It's not like World of Warcraft. Like, well, okay, I agree. It's not like World of Warcraft. What does it cost to play World of Warcraft for a month, Brian? $10? I think so, yeah. $10. What is the average revenue per customer for Magic Online for a year? <laughs> $3,000? insane. It's insane. It's, so it's, I mean, I don't spend a ton of money on Magic, right? I'm in a fortunate position. Same, I don't where spend I get any a, money on Magic. I mean, I spend a little bit of money on Magic online. But, but, it's already a, a number that makes my wife cringe. I, I mean, if I, if I, I only have my travel fees over the years, it's a different, it's a different story. But Magic is very different from, from some of these other games. I, don't you think that LOL or World of Warcraft would murder multiple people to get magics per user? Oh, sure. Per, per I mean, user but, 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 but LOL and WoW also have... I mean, more, just, more it's so much more accessible. They have so many more players who don't generate any revenue. Right. So what you're trying to do is apply these models of just... I mean, I don't want to just say parasites. They're not parasites. The fans of the game are not parasites. Sure. But just incrementally adding viewership that does not incrementally add revenue... Is, it's not bad. Right. It's irrelevant. Right. It's just literally irrelevant. So the fact that people are like, oh, this is this is how the models should work, or this is what these other games are doing, or why isn't it more like the NBA? Like, are you crazy? Do you, what's the most popular sport first, in the well, world? First of all, you can flip on a game of, of League of Legends, yeah. and something is moving across a battlefield to kill something else. It is immediately grokkable. Yeah. Magic, it's like, look at a table, and there are... 35 pieces of cardboard laid out next to each other, four hands moving them around, and some numbers. It is, it is, it requires a much steeper uh, investment of time to understand what's going on. Not only what I said, I think that a lot of people who are observers of the game, and I would guess a lot of people who are listening to this podcast even, will not understand the statement I'm about to make. A random player in a store, given a certain game state, can make a play. Josh Utter-Layton can make the same play against against a player of 100 times the skill level. The player at the store makes it, it's wrong, and that player will lose as a result of it. Josh Utter-Layton makes it, it's correct, and he will win as a result of it. Sure. And they're the exact same play with the exact same game state. And players will be like, that's crazy. That's silly. Like, that doesn't make any sense. But in in fact, that's how Magic is played at a high level. I was playing Andrew Cuneo in the feature match area. It's game two. I'm losing pretty badly. I have basically one chance to win. I have a Cloud Goat Ranger on the board. Uh, I have so another you're Maloko creature. Jr. No, but he, my, my tokens have been killed by a Thundercloud Shaman, and I have another uh, three three on the board. So all the cards and, in Modern Masters are sweet. <laughs> yeah, and and basically, we've gone through the iteration. We, we you know, um, Andrew's attacking with everything, and 
when you do the math, he's got eight points of damage. I'm at nine, but he can sack. He can remove a germinator token, make a fungus, sack it, and give a creature plus one plus one. So any blocks I have, I can block one creature. If I block any creature bigger than a two, uh, big, bigger than they're all like threes, mm-hmm. and he has one creature that's one. But if I don't block one of the threes, he can just kill me. Yep. But he knows that I know that, so I attempt to just block the one, and like I have a card in hand that I've just drawn. I've looked as at I it. Attempt to juke him. And it, it's, my only attempt is to hope that my next card is Blinding Beam. Yep. Is that the, he? He just killed. And he, he just doesn't. He's just like sack it. He just read. He you, just. Yeah. Well, he didn't even read it. He was just like I just. It wasn't. It didn't matter. Like if I. Yep. If you have a trick, you have a trick. You know, I'm still going to try to kill you there. That's like that's fine, but. For me, it was just kind of like, well, if I don't actually somehow convince him that maybe he shouldn't do that, and it's, you know, and it's, is it the wrong play on some level if I don't know that? It is. But yeah, but it, the, the other thing is, it's, it's a, a, it sounds to me like it's a play designed to preserve your resources, including life total, including the ability to draw another card. Yep, yep. And that if you, if you make a different play, you're, you might stay alive, but you're going to consume so many resources, you don't have enough resources to win the game anymore, right? Right, right, so, right. right. Um, it was the only way, you know, and it, I mean, it didn't matter anyway. I didn't, my next card was a lid, but... I mean, I just remember sitting down and, like, you know, being either dickish or condescending and, like, with one of Becker's friends at a Grand Prix once, trying to explain to him how these plays he's making are just, like, antithetical to winning correctly. Even if he's, like, resulting in winning games, I'm like, it's actually, it, it shouldn't play out like this. It's just, he's playing badly now, you know? I'm like, you should make this play and say, well, that, that play doesn't make any sense. I'm like, but, you know, the only reason that you won was because you... You know, you turned and rivered locks it on hierarch twice in a row. You know, sure. like this. And like these, these are actually the plays that are that are cultivating your options, increasing your likelihood of, of winning with a with a wider spread of cards. You know, if you're going to draw back to back locks it on smiter again, I'm not locks it on hierarch rather yeah, yeah. against like a red deck wins deck. You're likely to win regardless of what, right. what you might play just, you're going to make. You just might beat yeah. a red deck <laughs> with just drawing a locks on a hierarch yeah, but, and the man in the cast. But how about you make the plays that if you don't draw correctly? Uh, you know, you're 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 more likely to win, and so the 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 reality is, plays can seem sloppy in the hands of some players, and they seem desperate in the hands of other players. But that desperation might be sort of like, if I don't make this play, uh, I'm not going to have resources necessary to win. You know, two turns from now. But if they're just sloppy, they're just giving away resources that right. that that uh, that they might have otherwise be able to cultivate. And I. I put myself in the same camp. I don't think that a lot of times that even the commentators, even very good commentators, you know, like ourselves perhaps, can appreciate all the things that are going on from a mental game level when when masterful players are playing. You know, and I think that the big, our inability to well, I mean, let me ask you this: How often have you seen pretty pretty wide play group of players? Yep. Chris Manning, someone who sure. just top four Grand Prix Providence qualified for Pro Tour sure. Dublin. Another qualification for him and a long list of those. You know, excellent magic player. Would you ever conceivably make the same draft pick or play that Chris Manning makes in a given situation? Yes, Chris Manning taught me to play like Chris Manning. Did he really? Yeah, so I actually make Chris Manning blocks a lot now. So, um, like, I'll, I'll give you an example, right? So I once thought I had this great deck, and I thought I, I should 3-0 this table, and I'm playing Manning in the last round, and Manning just demolishes me. I look, look at the cards that he picked, and... I put my deck, and I'm like, I just don't understand how I lost to this green-white pile. And then Manning and I just play game after game, and he just keeps beating me. And um, and he's just like, look, 
you want me to explain to you what's going on? And I'm like, of course. <laughs> and he's like, I'm just trying to play this game that like takes a long time, and your deck's supposed to be fast. Or the car- your, he's like, your cards are good. Okay. Oh no, like, is this where he says incremental card advantage? No. Oh, okay. That's my favorite term he's ever used. He says your cards are good, and I'm like, yeah. He's like, it's hard to get your cards yet, and I'm like, yeah. He's like, my cards are not. It's easy to get my cards, but I can have enough of them, you know? And so I come in with this mindset, I'm going to have a whole bunch of crappy cards nobody wants, but they play well together. And you try really hard to win with your good card. Maybe I give up a few points, but then I just start putting all of my bad cards together in front of your good cards. And then, you know what? You might get two of my bad cards sometimes, but I'm always going to get your good card. And eventually, I'm going to have some crappy cards left over, and you don't have any left over. Because you worked so hard to get your good cards, you have some bad cards left over. And so he taught me, just like, it's like a lot of the time the right play is to take all your creatures and block one creature. And I've never done that before. I've been playing Magic for 10 plus years to that point, played on a dozen Pro Tours, whatever. And I had, I just, you know, I, I make the blocks, like, oh, this will trade with this, I'll win this fight. He's like, just put them all in front of a guy. And I'm like, why is it? Because they don't, they don't think you'll do it. <laughs> well, they might have a trick, they might have a trick to take out two, but they can't take out six. <laughs> just do it. It's like, oh, was it worth your trick? You're still going to lose your guy. It's like, oh, you can get my salad. <laughs> so, uh, so to answer your question, I often make plays like Chris Manning. He taught me how. Sure. But you understand the point I'm making. Is yes. He's someone who has found a way to play Magic successfully that is counterindicated to the way you're taught to play Magic. He plays a different game. Yes. You know who else plays a different game? Adrian Sullivan. Sure. So... I was thinking about I, I, I tried to write an article about this and I, I was not successful at it. Sure. I, I mean there's a number of players Adam Chambers is someone who yeah. played limited in a very different way than a lot of other players played it so I was specifically thinking about this because I was while well, I was watching this first heat, heat series last week like does Shane Battier practice taking shots and falling I mean like like the, the, the number of times the heat players will 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 flop like out of nowhere yeah. lunacy flops they have to be putting practice into to be doing Le- this. LeBron, LeBron clearly practices flopping. He said on ESPN, he's like, I think it's a good strategy. They can't catch it all the time. Like, so, you know. I they, mean, there's players who, who are half his body mass who tap him. Yeah, and he so, just goes ass over tea kettle. So I'm just like bitching, bitching, bitching. These guys just keep flopping. And people are like, well, the Spurs could flop back. And I'm like, could they really? I'm thinking about this time when I watched Adrian Sullivan playing against EDT. Adrian Sullivan's like playing his cards upside down. He's got like, what, what is it that PV doesn't like lands in front of spells? Lands, lands in front. He's got lands in front of spells 10 years before PV's ever seen a magic card. And they're all upside down. So Adrian plays his cards upside down, lands in front of spells. So he's like playing EDT in this game. And EDT's like, I'm going to mind game you back. So he starts putting his cards all in a random place. EDT makes like two or three mistakes because his board is a mess. And then he's just like... And he just reorders his stuff to regular. Because you actually have to use conscious mental energy to manage to manage uh, your board in like some cockamamie way, unless it's the way you play. Right. So Adrian clearly just practices playing in this asinine way so that he doesn't expend um, mental energy while confusing his opponents. And the reality is a lot of players are going to give up are going to give up percentage points sure. because the cards are backwards the lands are in the wrong place you know like uh, can you just no this is how I play don't touch my side of the battlefield which is a completely reasonable thing to say right, right? nobody says that, oh you have to have this in this direction right. that's not how it says in the rule book right you can as long as your things are tapped versus untapped sure you could go you could 
checkerboard your lands yeah. and creatures if you wanted to. I did that for a while. I would just play all of my cards in order. <laughs> the problem is there's no real management way of doing that, right? Right. It's, it's like... Uh, you have to expend extra mental yeah. energy as well. You, you, have to, you have to resort. But if you have a, some sort of consistent paradigm that is different from how other people play, but like repeatable for yourself, you can learn to play in like a weird way, which Adrian obviously has. So I was thinking about this, and I'm like... This first can't just flop. Like, Duncan is not used to, like, hurling himself to the ground on every on every layup attempt. Right. So, I mean, Manu is, but Manu has clearly been instructed by Pop to not flop anymore ever since they started doing the the, the flop rules. He's just like Verajab. Him and Manu were the two worst floppers in the league. They're like, they changed the flop rules, and Verajab's like, no, I'll just actually just be the best defender. <laughs> no problem. No more flops. People are like, he's such a flopper. I'm like, really? When? When was the last time? He doesn't even take charges anymore. So, um, anyway, long story short, uh, if, uh, pro tip, if you can uh, play your, your cards upside down, uh, lands in front of spells, you will probably gain a significant amount of edge, but you'll probably lose a little bit while learning how to play. I think, I think the point that somehow I'll start with is the idea that magic is its own game and it's not really analogous yeah. to, to a lot of other sports. I mean, I think... But from, it's so far afield of these other yeah, things. Yeah, and I think, and I think what I was from from, I guess the basic premise of this guy's four part opus is that magic should focus on the players and not on the cards. Which, you do that. I focus on the cards. You focus on the players. That's I, our, I was going to say. I was just going to say. Like, I don't really know that we don't focus on the players. I think. Like, I think a lot of his like premises yeah. are just false. But then he just builds upon them like he's doing a closing argument. So you know, he's like, well. You know, Think my opponent, my, my client is not guilty. And as such, we will make these following arguments all built out of the idea so, that he's not guilty. So let's think about this last this last weekend. Biggest card tournament of all time. Sure. Massive success. No other way to cut it. Okay. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, Massive it was really well run, too. In every possible way. Okay. Uh, I mean, not not completely, right? Like, like obviously, it's not a huge success when LSV goes 12-3 and three and finishes outside the money. So, so what I'm saying is, what narrative are you going to write? There are literally zero named players in the top eight. I mean, uh, obviously, I mean, Ochoa the has a. The, the, the narrative up. to me is is Dusty Ochoa because I mean that's such a great story. So the, it's such, I mean, do you know do you know his story? I don't know the story. So I mean, Dusty's a player who's been around forever. Yep. I mean, he's been around. He's, he used to go to nationals all the time. Uh, you know, re, you know, just a, a, a PTQ veteran. Basically, stops playing to like have build his Arizona Magic community, have his store, take care of it, and grow the community. And now is coming back to playing and, and you know playing seriously and doing really well. I, I so I really appreciate that that, that aspect of his. That's career. great. I think it's real tough if you want to take this guy's line. I don't even I don't remember his name. This guy's line of how we should focus on the players and everything. Let's assume what you're saying about Dusty Ochoa is compelling. Okay. Right. You've got you oh, still no, no. got like. Let me, let me tell you. Something. In excess of seventy five percent of that, top I posted. Eight is I posted not, something on Twitter. Is, is not following this model as the top eight was starting. And like my the post was, you know, what do you pick first? First pick, first pack, out of a modern masters top eight draft for the GP. Do you first pick Foil Goyf or Cloud Goat Ranger? Right? Was that a, a real pick? I, no, no, it wasn't a real pick. But this is a question I posed. Like just insane amount of topic of discussion. Yeah. You know about those cards, and and I could not have generated the same level of interest talking about that particular top eight. At that moment. Do you know what I'm saying? So, these are the things that I would say. Magic is a game where celebrity is important, but that the celebrity, 
tell me if I'm wrong. You're, you're, you go to way more pro tours these days than I do. Celebrities incredibly, incredibly oh my God. pyramid type, right? Yeah. So you have players like, whether or not he wins it all, Patrick Chapin's massive curating, right? So you have like yeah. Patrick Chapin, John Finkel, LSV, and then even in like the second and third tier of players, like think like, think about how much less curating you get players a player like Josh Utterleighton has, who's the player of the year. He's like in the I, third I mean, Josh tier. Is, I think Josh's Q goes up year after year. But you also get players who become identified with things and have their... So, like, you know, we're going to do an ar- archetype about Boros. You know, let's talk to Paul Rietzel or, sure. or or Patrick Sullivan. We're going to do something about White Weenie. Well, so, obviously, we're going to talk to Craig Weska. I don't know if you remember this. I think it was 2010 I did a, a world's draft. And, like, on, like, my first pick, I took, like... I, like, way out of position took Josh Hutter-Layton, like, really early yeah, yeah. In, the, in the draft. Is this like, 2011 world? 2000, yeah. yeah, and people are like, what are you doing? And I'm like, he's the best player on the board. That's who I'm taking. And they're like, you could have gotten him X. I'm like, I don't want to have him X. Him, yeah. He's the best player on the board. Like, that, that, so, and then I obviously won. Like, I always went very far. They're like, they're, they're like, they're like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Uh, lucky this. I'm like, it wasn't lucky this. You took David Ochoa. I took Josh Hutter-Layton. He finished X spots higher than David Ochoa. And the point that I got off of Josh Utter-Layton locked me to win this draft before the top eight was played. Like, the fact that I also had multiple players in the top eight was irrelevant because other players had players in the top right, eight. Right. I locked the draft with my guy who I was like, this guy's going to go top 32. He's the best player on the board. I'm taking him now. And people are like, no, you could have gotten him so much later. Like, like and that, that's the thing. Like, I mean, I, obviously I have massive respect for, for, for Josh Utter-Layton. I'm just saying from a, from a curating yeah. standpoint... I think he's like a level below PV. Who's a level below? Who's a level below like Kibler LSV? Sure. I mean, and at, at some point you're like Stanislav Sivka, Platinum Pro, Pro Tour champion, plays really well. I would guess 98 percent of the typical Magic viewing audience has no idea who he is. Unless you say Eggs player. Eggs player, they might know. If you say Eggs player. Oh, I remember. Oh, him. Sivka. They might even be able to say his name, right? But I would guess 98 percent of the active viewing audience does not know who he is. I mean, so so the funny thing is, I, in my real job, I meet tons of much more casual Magic players. Yeah. And honestly, the thing that people always, I mean, people ask about this sort of like top this creme of the crop of magic players at the top you know I hear LSD all the time I, I you know I hear about Kepler you know Finkel etc but mostly they want to know about decks they want to oh I watched that deck tech I watched this what's it you know what was that they want to know about about how to how they what, what deck should they play at FNM so here's the thing and I, I don't mean to I don't mean to minimize the complexity of other games right but if you approach Magic versus approaching a game, let's say, like, StarCraft, or a game like, you could say, like, LOL like, has, like, a rotating number of guys that you can play, right? Yeah. But StarCraft, for example, it's more leverageable to celebratize the player in StarCraft because there's only three base strategies. Okay? Like, and I understand you can play these things, like, in a variety of different ways. Yes, this is very beautiful. <laughs> um... But, like, compare that to a standard Pro Tour today. It's easily 24 strategies. Among blue-red-white decks, there's at least five different viable strategies. I mean, just, just look at uh, Pro Tour Gatecrash, right? Like, the blue-white-red decks in the top eight of that tournament, right? You know, there was, there was uh, Pyre Harvest, and there was Blasphemous Act, right? There were, there were two different I mean, versions. There was infinite combo. There was no infinite who, combo. Who's going to pick... 
uh, thought flare as being more copies in a in a blue red white deck than Sphinx's Revelation. Are you going to pick that long ball before the tournament starts? <laughs> somebody made that decision, and that somebody made top eight. You know, uh, or like how 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 are you going to approach gates? Like, there's at least two or three different ways that you can. I don't know how wide you want to stretch the word viably, but viably build a gates deck, right? For standard. For standard? Yeah. Are you playing gates in standard? I may have, in fact, played gates to a savage degree in 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 uh, in one one v one cues, and I may, in fact, have demolished GCB in a queue, <laughs> and he would not respond to me. I'm like, hey, Gabe, he's a silence. <laughs> Blue, red, white mirror. I had gates. I mean, I also had Aetherling, but <laughs> I just played my Aetherling and killed him. Yeah. Yeah, I had Gates, and he had, but he had like, um, uh, Geist of St. Trap deck. What were you doing with your Gates? Just blue-red-white deck that had ten Gates in it. Then, One like, of each? Yeah, that amazing. Makes, that makes no, sense. four, four blue-white blue ones, and then, like, uh, one of the other ones, and then Maze's End and, uh, and, uh, I think, uh, Elixir of Immortality. Oh, so you don't even have the ability to win with Maze's End, you're just card-advantaging them with Maze's no, no, End? No, I had Maze's End. Yeah. I had one of every gate. Oh, okay, that's what four, I was asking. Except for four blue-white okay, gates. Okay, that's what I was asking. And then I just played a regular blue-red-white deck with, like, War Leader's Helix, right. you know... You can also line. you can also just play Maze's End as a card-advantage yep. engine without having to play all the gates. Problem is, like, that's only good as a sideboard card, I think. Well, yes. And But the thing is, now... That's what I'm saying. That's now you have to have a bunch of gates in your deck to exploit it as a sideboard card, and, like... You have to be playing against a pretty slow opponent for this to be good. Like sure. even like a blue black blue black white deck in standard is not slow enough that you can that you can edge with this. Like I mean the control decks aren't very slow right now with Aetherling. I mean Yeah, I think that most of the control decks are badly misbuilt. I think I mean I I, I would have been pretty confident playing in Philadelphia. I was gonna play blue red white control. Um, and like just my style, like forget how these people have been playing, like like States two thousand five style. Aetherling Cavern of Souls. So, like, like, there's not that many counters. There's enough counters that I'm playing Cavern of Souls. Sure. I'm just gonna get, like, eight lands to play, cast my Aetherling Cavern of Souls, and kill you. And, like, there's nothing you can do about it. Because I War Leaders Helix your guys. I'm, like, eight life ahead of you. There is no race to be had. And, I mean, I don't know. I'm pretty confident, but, again, you went to Vegas, I didn't go to Philly. I deuced it with my wife. And she's like, you have to be back by, like, 8 a.m. Sunday to, like, take your daughter to a birthday party. And I'm like, what if I make top eight, you know, like, like, it's just not worth it. Like at that point, like travel costs were like, it's not, I can't even do the weekend, you know? And then Pakula though, back to back legacy open top eights. Um, He's making, he's making the rest of us old guys look pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Actually all the Finkel drafters in the, in the, in the, uh, long in the tooth era are doing pretty good. Bowman, Burger, Triple P, it's nice to see Triple I think Triple P's had more success in the last two weeks than he had when he was a serious player, when he was well, I mean, he, the number one rated player in the world. Wait, isn't his Pro Tour Top 8 actually just Rye Juniors? Is it? I, I didn't so. know he had a Pro Tour Top 8. Yeah, it's Rye Juniors. So most people don't know that tri- Triple P, who just won a Grand Prix two weeks ago, is actually a, a long-standing former number one rated player in, in, in Constructed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in like 1997, I want to say, he was the number one rated player. He just played Dead Guy Red all the time, uh, fire-blasting people. Yeah, he would, al- he would also play like uh, Bad Moon. He, played, he did. He played Bad Moon a lot. I remember. I, I remember Triple P in particular. Uh, the week before regionals, uh, he's like, "What do you like?" And I'm like, "I like uh, Ritual Bad Moon." He's like, "No, nah, you can't play that." Uh, Light of Day. 
And uh, so I'm like, all right, so I made a different beat down deck. Uh, I didn't make top eight. Triple P, like, draws into the top eight, playing Ritual Bad Moon. I'm like, what happened to Light of Day? It's like, I tried your idea. It was good. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Triple P. He probably doesn't remember that. Yeah. If you you mentioned him now, he'd be like, oh, yeah, Light of Day. (laughs) For those of you who don't know, Light of Day is an enchantment. It's white three. Black creatures can't attack. Could they block? Does it matter? I guess it doesn't. One of your guys is Carnophage. Another one of your guys is Sarcomancy. <laughs> things are gonna things are gonna get bad at some point. Yeah. Um, so comical books. So why don't you talk about for the man who has everything? Uh, I that's. I remember you told me about this story years before I ever read it. It's. I mean, it's just my favorite comic book story of all time. Your favorite number overall, more yeah. than more than Jaime and. Yeah. Really? I, I mean, I, I, I suppose, you know, my lists tend to shift into different buckets. Yeah. But, like, certainly of superhero comics, it's my favorite. I, I was, It's my favorite. I story. Because it, it was just, to me, it was the first time... This you got to remember, this is before Watchmen. It's 1985. Yeah, this is, this is the first time I've ever read a Superman comic where Superman felt like anything remotely interesting to me. So, Batman has always had interesting takes on him. And... You know, it was the first time Wonder Woman had any kind of, like, personality. So, was Batman not the Dark Knight yet when this happened? No, no, Dark Knight comes out. I understand Dark Knight Returns came out a little bit afterwards. I think Jim Aparo is still doing Batman for the most part. Because because Moore writes Batman like Adam West. He's drawn like Jim Aparo. Yes. But he writes him like Adam West. He's just like... Chum. Chum. You yeah. know, like he, like his dialogue and everything. And I, I thought that that was a joke. Like, I thought he was just like no, super no, no, straight no, no. manning you, you, him. You, we haven't gotten... We haven't gotten the Batman reboot yet. Because the entire modern audience doesn't even... The, the notion of Batman in blue instead of in black and gray is like probably foreign I, to I do kids. love Batman in blue. I really do. I love Jim Aparo Batman. Yeah? Yeah. Um, I love I love a but Dave Mazzucchelli's your favorite Batman. Um, favorite Batman, favorite Daredevil. I, I can, favorite foil to Rob Liefeld. I can understand you're valuing his Daredevil at number one. Okay, I'm not going to take that away from you. I think that you are needlessly restrictive because Mark Wade's collaborators are. I mean, first of all, like Marcos Martin is. I've, I showed you Marcos Martin's. Joran uh, Remy just tweeted something about like. To us, right, like within the last five minutes, about Martine. Like, I haven't. I don't. I don't know. Batgirl Year One. I showed you Batgirl Year One, and you're like, "What is this?" So like, like people don't even draw comics like this. Marcos Martine does. My, at some point, like, I also am just able to be done with certain characters. I don't really need to ever read another Daredevil comic. It's like more or less the best. It's really good. Okay, I mean. I think the I think the Miller Kelly stuff is more or less the best, and I, I mean I'm pretty oh, happy. Oh, I mean, I, without sounding like a heretic, Mark Wade's Daredevil, which is his current run, is the best Daredevil that's I, ever been written. Okay. It, it's unbelievably good. I like I like Mark Wade, but I find I find Mark Wade to be in a fairly traditional yes mold. He is the best of the fairly fairly traditional writers. He's the Dave Gibbons of writers. No, I mean I, I don't think that's fair. I mean he's way more innovative than Dave Gibbons is. I mean he he did write Kingdom Come. He wrote Irredeemable. He wrote, you know, uh, you know, he, he he he'll stretch, but you know, he is he tends to Irredeemable play in the box. did turn into Interminable. 
He terminated it. Yeah, I didn't get that. He terminated though. it. Yeah, I didn't get that. Though. But I mean, like the first, the first couple. You're reading Irredeemable over the first two trades. You're like, yeah, it was great. Jesus it was Christ! Great. Like, how how is he writing this? Yeah, you know? it was great. I mean, he wrote Kingdom Come. He uh, his flash. I don't is love Kingdom Come. Um, I'm not. I'm not a huge. You don't like Ross either. I don't really love Ross. I find Ross to be really stiff and to be like pretty. But kind of antithetical to what a comic book is supposed to be. I can respect your position, and we just point out that many, many people don't feel this way about Wade. I understand. I understand. And I think that they, I, they have, I, for example, really like Alex Ross. Yeah. I actually think that Alex Ross painting other very talented illustrators is, I don't know, if his, his Justice Society stuff, for example, well, somebody else will lay it out and they'll paint it. I think he's super talented. I think he's super talented. It's just not... Not for you? It's just not the kind of comics that I... I mean, I love... You know, I would my I, I want to see less rendering. I want to see fewer lines. I want what, I want light and shadow. What if there's like not this like wildstorm effects image-ish computer coloring? What if we just go? What if we just have awesome flat colorists? Because at least in the '80s, the, the the printing techniques weren't good, right? So it's yeah. hard to even see how good the flat color could have been. I gotta tell you, if you look at the flat coloring that gets done on X Men pre-image, like just like before those guys all leave to form yeah. image, it's pretty spectacular. They do some pretty spectacular airbrush techniques. Oh, have you there. read any Hawkeye, David Aha? No, no. It's like the best. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, last year Daryl was the best, like this year Hawkeye's the best. And he, it's just all like big blocks of gray and black. Like, it, he's in. A, his, his, his palette is like white and purple. Those are the total colors. And I don't, I don't know, like, Matt, I, I assumed it was just David Aha. But yeah. Teddy was like, no, Matt Fraction's on his game. And I, I'm not the biggest Matt Fraction fan. Sure. I think Matt Fraction's fine. But he's really on his game. And I don't know. His Hawkeye's like, this is Lefario. So it's like he gets in a lot of hilarious situations. So, like, naked Hawkeye will be, like, flying across the room. And they'll put, like, the traditional Hawkeye with the H and, like, the wings <laughs> helmet, like, just in front of him, like a like a blot-out ball, like, yeah, in front yeah. of his junk. <laughs> it's like, there's all, like, these in-jokes. Um, and... But it's just great, like, uh, this is just what Hawkeye does on the weekends, is the premise of the the book. And he's, like, always getting in fights with Russian gangsters, and they're like, hey, Avenger, and he's like, I'm He's just doing Avenger. Guy Ritchie kind of Hawkeye comic? Yeah, like, it, it, the average plot will be him, like, stealing a 1970 Chevy Challenger, or, like, uh, like, do you know there's the other Hawkeye who was Hawkeye when he was dead? You don't know this. There's a girl Hawkeye in Young Avengers, and, like, even though in Young Avengers she's in space or whatever, she's just in in the comic with him, and they just pull capers. They're just, like, constantly pulling capers. And they're both really rich, so they don't have to pull capers. Right. So, like, the first caper, like, um, like Circus of Crime or someone, like, made a party, and then they robbed, like, all of, like, the supervillains from Marvel Universe for, like, a billion dollars. But then Hawkeye just robbed them. <laughs> so now he's rich. And, like, the other Hawkeye was already rich. So they're both hella rich. But so they pull capers because <laughs> that's what the book's about. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, it's just Guy Ritchie, right. like, dude with a bow. I'll try it. It's really good. I'm sure Matt has it. Yeah. I mean, he reads everything. You just get it on Infinity Marvel or whatever. Oh, I don't have that. Is it awesome? It's pretty good. Yeah. It's worth the five bucks a month, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I keep, I have it's to. Spotify I, for comics. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It's, yeah, I, I, I waste all my money buying, like, I bought, like, 17 issues of Iron Fist this week. But, like, I could have just gotten like it John on John Byrne Mar- Iron Fist? No. Matt Fraction, David Aha, Iron Fist. It's really good. Whatever. I mean, John Byrne was so good. What happened? I mean, he, I mean, you know. Uh, How do you go from being God to being like whatever he became? 
I don't know. I mean, you know, it's it's kind of like it's kind of like the story about Alan Moore going to DC and doing anatomy lesson, right? Like at some point, like but he the, the, drew so well, like his art holds up. Like I look at I look at like a, a John Byrne Superman from 1985, and I'm just like, who drew this? And it's like John Byrne. I'm like, oh, I remember when he was the best. Artist when he was being comics. inked by Terry Austin and not being inked by himself. I mean, straight to pens. He wasn't even inked by himself. He was just straight to pens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, that- Terry, Terry Austin has a huge, uh, a huge polishing effect on him. His, his composition. It's kind of like when people talk about Frank Miller being a great artist on Daredevil. When? Well, they did at the time that he was doing the his original run on Daredevil in the one fifties, one sixties, like the whole Bullseye saga. Yeah. But it's it's not. I mean, it's Frank Miller's storytelling, which was fantastic and pretty revolutionary. But, but it's Klaus it was Klaus Janssen's like super heavy inks and his. His hand that really. You no, know I hate Klaus Janssen. I understand. Like I just cannot. I, I. I mean, I don't hate him. I don't hate the man. I never met him. He's done a lot of really good comics. That I the, really don't like. Klaus you understand Janssen. that the Frank Miller, like Frank Miller's run on Daredevil, Creed Mascali, and Frank Miller's yes, run. I've read, I've read all the time. And, and and Wolverine is you know the, the the Wolverine series. Both of those were like atom bombs on the same level as like Alan Moore's stuff. And, and I didn't. Really, I mean, I was obviously. They were. Studio. They were just. They just changed. You know, really like were as big contributors to changing comics. So what as, the, as the Alan Moore stuff. What have been the big contributors since then? I mean, like the, the Image Revolution in 1992 was that it? No, no, no. I think Vertigo is a huge, a huge impact. So when's Vertigo? 1989. I mean, so I mean, Vertigo really starts with Alan Moore and Swamp Thing. Yeah. And it was a DC comic though. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm saying, but like. You know, it, 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 it's when Shade the Changing Man and, love Shade the Changing. and then Animal Man comes out. And so it's like, that's like right leading into like 1990. Sandman is, and Sandman's the, Sandman the pivot. Sandman. Sandman's the big how, how do you have a guy, an comics. egomaniac of the level of Grant Morrison, writing a, bo- a work as celebrated, and I mean, he must have known how good it was while he was writing it. So people ask me like, do you know how good Who's the Beatdown was when I was writing it? I'm like, yes, I did. You know, like, okay. you must have known how good Animal Man was on his writing, that he gets stuck with Chaz Chuog. How does this happen? For which, which book are you talking about? Animal Man. Chaz Chuog wrote, drew the entire thing oh. of his part of the run. That, Brian Bolland was, like, on covers. Like I, eventually, thought was, I thought it was Steve, Steve Dillon. Dillon came after he already left the book. Oh, okay. He had Chaz Chuog the entirety. And people think of... I, I look back on those and, and I you're think like, of Steve, Steve Dillon. Dillon. It's not. He was on the book after Morrison left. Okay. So even even the issues like 1920, the like, kind of really revolutionary, kind of it's all breaking the fourth wall. Yes, that's all true. That's yeah. funny. I don't remember it being that. Yeah, I, I don't understand. How does that time. happen? I mean, especially if you, you're in you're, you're in a in a mid to late DC mindset where like a guy like Dave Gibbons but makes friends collab- with. But it's a collaboration. Like you can't you can't dismiss. Oh, no, 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 no. There's no way he was happy with that. Artist. You can't dismiss like the artist. Is- Do you remember when you had Igor Corday? Shut up. Were you happy with Igor Corday? No. Neither was Grant Morrison. Okay. <laughs> Grant Morrison, you know Igor Corday drew about half of Grant Morrison's yes. X-Men stories? Yeah. Grant Morrison was like, half the reason I left Marvel was because I wanted to do these books with Frank Quitely. And then I just had, like, I would write an arc for Chris Boccolo, who's really good. I'd write an arc for Phil Jimenez. And Igor Corday did half my books. So, like, you know what, Joe? Thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. You know? So I'm just wondering if you were happy with Eagle. I was not. I was not. Eagle Corday drew a lot of X-Men comics. There there was, there was my Captain America story that I wrote that Igor Corday drew. Yeah. There's like a three page sequence that like when Evan read it in the script, he was like, 
This is the best thing you've ever written. Yep. <laughs> Igor didn't draw those pages. <laughs> it was just a panel, right? He just did a panel. He's like, I just condensed that because I put my own ending on it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just an incident at Owl Creek Bridge. Yeah. It's just like, no, Captain America's not dead. There's just a cat sleeping on his chest. No, he's dead! Okay, so... so This is obviously not at the same level. This is a pretend Comic-Con, a real comic. So, uh, in like 2003 or whatever, when I was like trying to break into comics or whatever, I sent Brian Vaughn some pages to look at that I was working on with Wife With You. He goes, I really wish I knew you were trying to draw. He's like, why? He's like, because I just did a book for, for Noble Causes, and they just put some random artist on it for me. And I would have just rather, you, you would have done a better job anyway. Like, can you imagine? I drew an image book for Brian Vaughn. They could pay me zero, and it yeah. wouldn't matter, right? Yeah. Um, He's like, he's like, oh, well, Mike, maybe next time. <laughs> I'm like, this, that's actually just a form letter he sends to everybody who sends him He's a, a good friend of mine. So, so uh, yeah, speaking of which, you didn't watch Under the Dome this week? No. Um, did you read the book? I didn't. I, didn't. I haven't read a King book in like 20 years. I, I haven't read a King book in a while, but uh, it looks stupid. Someone, someone called it The Simpsons the Live Action. You think? Well, I mean, it's the Simpsons I mean, like, movie. Brian wouldn't have done a bad show, I don't think. I mean, I watched the first episode. I was not that compelled, but yeah, he just, listens to the podcast, though, so maybe uh, maybe I should watch what I say. <laughs> it's not. I mean, it is not. It's the concept. It's nothing yeah. to do with the quality of the people involved. I'm I'm willing to be wrong. I didn't know Brian. Is Brian came on writing it. Yeah, he right. He's the showrunner. Oh, okay. I might I might consider it then at that point. Yeah. But honestly, just like from the commercial, I, mean, I would have never watched it. It just looks it's freaking so stupid. It just looks freaking <laughs> stupid to me. So, Pacific Rim. Yeah. Gonna go watch it? Yeah. Obviously, right? Yes. Yeah, I mean, like, this isn't even a... Even Catherine's my, gonna watch my, it. No, my wife doesn't get it. No, 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 no. I'm like... She's like, I'm not watching some stupid robots versus Godzilla movie. I'm like, Jack Seller, Stringer Yeah, Bell. I was just gonna check. She's like, Jack Seller and Stringer Bell? And she, like, looks at the commercial. She's like, kids, we're going to Pacific Rim. Yeah. And they're like, Mommy, I didn't think you liked that kind of stuff. She's like, I really like Stringer Bell and Jack Seller. And they're like, what's that? She's like, she's like, Bella, you'll understand someday. <laughs> <laughs> She just does the Kevin Durant commercial. Yeah. Don't play. Yeah. Bobby has stuff for him yeah. to do. <laughs> She's like, I'm not watching your stupid robots. We were like, Jack Seller and Stringer Bell. She's like, both? Yeah. No, it, it, it looks awesome. I, I can't wait to see it. I'm, I'm super excited. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see it either. Although, I will have to wait to see it. It comes out the weekend of Patrick Chapin's wedding, which I will, I will be at. Um, did I mention Basic Mountains Cavaliers? Yeah, you did. You did. I would, I would like to cheer for this team. So would everyone. That team would win the title, right? I mean, like, you got to believe that team would win the title. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. Is that team going to beat? I mean, it's team? many more times. Just, you know the Spurs is my second favorite team, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That team is many times more talented than the Spurs. I was so I mean, I, I really thought the Spurs were going to win. Yeah, no kidding. I, 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 did, I did something last week, I guess. Last week I did. So I called my good friend and yours, uh, Paul Jordan, and I, w- I really wanted to talk to him about this thing. I'm like, what's the most important thing in your life outside your family? He's like, magic. I'm like, tell the truth. He's like, Yankees. I'm like, that's what I thought. You know, I would have really accepted magic, but magic or Yankees. I'm like, for as important as it is to you, do you really get anything out of your life for having a sports team that wins all the time? It's like, I don't know what it feels like to not be heartbroken. Yeah, and you know we I, we I have this, a glimpse of not being heartbroken. But I mean, he actually said an interesting. He's, he's like, I don't, I don't know that I like the Yankees more than you like basketball. Like you've flown home to Cleveland for home games. And I'm like, this is true. Like you know, like I really like basketball, but I've never 
at a wink of happiness, right. lasting happiness as a sportsman. And my wife's, why, why do you even buy into this? Like, this isn't for you. This isn't the kind of, they didn't make this for you. Why don't you go play, you know, magic or play your spreadsheets or whatever? That's a, <laughs> and I mean, she has a good point. That's the, that's it. Yeah, so, pause. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm just wondering, like, so what were you happy about? Oh, I mean, I, I, so one of my first memories is uh, Mets in the World Series when I was a kid. Uh, 1986 Mets winning the World Series, pretty big, pretty big deal for me. Uh, so I've had a glimpse of. Well, mostly being a Mets fan is misery. And I was like, so uh, being a Knicks fan is mostly misery. I mean, I watched the shot live. You know, I watched. I mean, the Cavs probably would. I mean, probably would. You know, it's not like it's not. It's not like I've, I've been on the phone multiple times with Becker, yeah. where we're just so it's like an afternoon and we're just talking, and ESPN or AMC is on, and you know, it's like, hey, oh, it's the. It's the, you know, 50 greatest plays in NFL history. He's like, turn it off. Turn it off. The last three are all Cleveland losses. <laughs> you know. He's like, I can't watch it. Turn it off. Yeah, I mean, I, I gave up on football. Did I ever tell you this? When I, the moment I lost faith. So you know the fake field goal, right? Yeah. So uh, Denver needs to hit this... Uh, crazy field goal to go to the Super Bowl. It's like windy, blowing snow. I get down on my hands and knees, say in our father, beg God for the field goal to go wide. It goes wide. I'm like, what happened? This, this works? No one ever misses a field goal. And then the ref's hands go up and I'm like, no! I saw it! It went wide! And at that moment I was just like... <laughs> Prayer, huh? And... <laughs> And football, yeah. <laughs> football more than more than anything else. I really, I really actually cared about football a lot when I was like eleven or twelve. Sure. So now I think it's evil. Do you? you yeah, it's it, going to kill people. Kind of evil. Or? I mean, yes, it's no, it, it cripples one hundred percent of professional players. Sure. Uh, most amateur players end up having some sort of grievous injury, whether they're diagnosed for it or not. Yeah. That that ends up being. Uh, chronic for them later in life, and I think that it's abusive for us to put young men through this for 20 years, and it's unlike almost anything else we have in our society. There's nothing else you do where you put you put a, a perfectly fine young man through this situation where he's he's going to essentially get nothing out of it. And you, you don't you don't favor gladiatorial sport? Gladiatorial sport's different. I mean, first of all, it's more honest. Second of all, you know, somebody breaks their arm or whatever, and you stop the fight. Yeah. I mean, it's worse than boxing, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It's like peppering somebody with future mini concussions Some, someone, is no... Someone, someone said that, like, we're going to turn around, like, 20 or 30 years from now and look back at this time and look at professional football as just this disgusting error in American history. It, it's not even that. Like, professional football is no kind of end game. Almost every job makes more money than a professional football player. Average professional football player plays an incredibly short term. Sure, three, three or four three, years. Less I think than three the, years. The and they don't make nearly enough money to sustain their livelihood through, sure. through, through life. They have no sure. other skills. And, and, like, and they haven't developed any other skills while they're in college. Because you have to be so good at football to get to the professional level. And so it's, focused on it. It's so... It's, and, and if you watch the documentary Broke on 30 for 30, have you seen this? No. It's great. It's the, great. The only 30 for 30 I've ever seen is one that's on my iPad that I watch periodically. You're not going to like which one it is. Which one is it? Reggie Miller. Oh, yeah. I don't like it. I haven't watched it. I have not watched it. It's pretty, yeah, 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 whatever. It's pretty yeah, good. Shut up. <laughs> Listen, um, it's right. 722. We All got right. a break. Pause. Right.
All right. Uh, this is uh, Michael J. Flores. Brian David Marshall, Top uh, 8 Magic. Thanks for listening. Uh, Revised Angel maybe won't, will make your next list. <laughs> Probably Bye. not, though. <laughs>